Welcome to our five o'clock service. Great to see you, our teaching service. And um, we are at the moment, as you can see behind me, on a series on the end time truths. Uh, we've looked at the soon coming king, the fact that Jesus is returning, and that it's very important that the church is ready for his returning. Someone might say, well, we've been waiting 2,000 years, so, uh, well, don't be like the five foolish virgins who weren't ready. We looked at in the New Testament, the New Testament church was ready for Jesus' return. Uh, time and time again, they would say, the time is at hand. Uh, Jesus is coming and coming soon. In the last chapter of Revelation, three times we hear Jesus saying, behold, I'm coming. But not just I'm coming, I'm coming soon. And right at the end, John says, Maranatha, come Lord, come soon. And so when the Holy Spirit moves in his church, one of the things that the Holy Spirit always does is get an excitement in believers' heart ready for the return of Jesus. And so we looked at that. We've also um, looked at uh, the, and I'll be showing you something later on, an end time timeline. We saw the beginning of the woes and we spent time in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, I'll be referring to that uh, again today. But where we're going to start in this evening's session is we're going to look at what we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. And remember, in this End Time Truth series, I'm really just giving the basic outline of these teachings to help you go forward and further in your studies about the end times. So that when you listen to a radio program or watch um, Christian television and you hear preachers begin speaking about end times truths, assuming you know about it, you'll have a background where you'll be able to say, oh yeah, I remember that teaching, I know where that's coming from, and you can go deeper in it. I want to welcome all of those that are joining us uh, via our web right now. Many people join us uh, in this evening all around the world and uh, listen and watch the teaching series. And others of you, you watch these later on in the week, so you're very welcome and it's great to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Because the first thing I'm going to do is explain, well, what are we talking about when we're talking about the rapture? Some people say, well, I've read the Bible, I've never seen the word rapture in the Bible. So what is the rapture of the church? Before we start asking when it's going to happen and its nature, we need a basic understanding of what it is. And we can see what it is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. And Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians. You know, there is a lot of end-time teaching in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And I recommend you, when you study the end times, to begin in 1 and 2 Thessalonians and then go and read Revelations and other passages. Whenever you study a topic in the Bible, always study first where it is taught most simply and most plainly. And here in Thessalonians, chapter 1 and chapter uh, uh, Thessalonians 1 and 2, there is some very plain teaching by Paul on the end times. Once you've done that plain teaching, then you can go into the more difficult books like Revelation. Last week I spoke to you a little bit about Revelation, that it's apocalyptic literature. And so it's, when you study Revelation, you have to decide what do you take as symbolic, what do you take as literal? And um, that's not as easy as you might first think. But with Paul's teaching in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, it's very simple. And then from that, you can look at the teaching in the Gospels and, and elsewhere. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians because they really believed that Jesus was coming soon. I mean, they were awakened on the inside that the end was near. Uh, they were ready for Jesus' return. In fact, they were so ready that Paul had to sort of like help them because they were saying to themselves, what? People are dying before the Lord's returned. What's going to happen to them? We don't understand. We thought Jesus was coming so soon. We didn't even think that any of us were going to die. That's how ready we are for Jesus to come. But people are beginning to die. And Paul has to say, okay, I need to explain that a few things need to take place before Jesus does return. And he looks at that. In, in chapter 5. But here, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. 
But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest, lest you sorrow as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in rice... It, rice? <laughs> Where does that come from? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So can you see in this passage, they're saying, what's going to happen to people that have died and, and have been buried? And Paul is saying, look, I want you to know what's going to happen when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes and comes out of heaven, all those that have died in faith, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, all of them are going to be raised from the dead. And we who are alive when Jesus returns, we are going to join them and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be raptured. Now, the word rapture comes from this well, two words in, in my version. Verse 17, can you see where it says caught up? Yes. Caught up. Well, that's where we get the word rapture from. Rapture is not a Greek word, it's a Latin word. And in the Latin translation of the New Testament, the word raptura was used as being caught up, okay? So in the Latin Bibles, the of course, the New Testament was written in Greek, but as the church grew, um, it was, the Bible was translated into Latin, and when you read the Latin, then you will get the word raptura as caught up. So when we talk about the rapture of the church, we're looking at these two words, caught up, and we're using the old Latin Bible's word raptura. And so we will be raptured, that means caught up, Together with them, who? Those that have died and are being raised from the dead. We will be gathered up and we will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. This is what we mean by the rapture. Now, in a previous series that I taught on what happens after you die, just coming up to the Christmas period, and remember all of the five o'clock teaching series, if you go to the media section... Uh, in the website and scroll right down, you'll see where it says series. If you press that button, uh, if you, sorry, if you go down to series, you'll see the different series. If you press the series you want, you get all of the sermons together. It's easier for you. And in the one that I did before Christmas, I spent a whole time looking at the doctrine of the resurrection and the doctrine of what we call glorification. Because glorification will take place at the rapture. You say, what's glorification? It's when your body is transformed to be physically immortal. You'll be glorified. It's the different, and it'll be such a glorious body. If you can imagine an acorn seed and a mighty oak tree, well, imagine that your body is a tiny acorn seed. But when you are glorified, when you're raised from the dead, or if you're alive when Jesus returns and you're raptured, you will turn from a little acorn into a mighty oak. Such will be the transformation of your body at the return of Jesus. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the rapture. We're going to be caught up. And as we're going to greet the Lord in the air, our body is going to be transformed and glorified. And all those that have died in faith, Old Testament news says, they will be raised as well. That is what we're talking about here in 1 Thessalonians when we're talking about the rapture. But one of the big questions is, when will the rapture actually take place? When will this take place that Paul is speaking about in 1 Thessalonians 4? Well, I've got a bit of a timeline I'd like to introduce to you now behind me on the screen. And um, in this timeline, it's a very brief timeline, you can go on the internet and Google end time timelines and you can get some, 
some very, very intricate ones, but I've just produced this one, which gives you a basic timeline. I don't want to, as I said, I don't want to get too um, uh, in-depth in all of this, or else we won't see the wood for the trees. But if you can look at this timeline behind me, you can see that um, last week I was talking about the Antichrist and what the Antichrist means and is. The week before that, I was speaking about the seven seals of Revelation. And you see there, right at the beginning of the timeline, there is the red cross, and that cross represents the cross, Jesus' death, and the beginning of the church in Pentecost. And I was saying that when we look at Revelation, we can see that we are in the age of the seven seals. And we looked at that in Revelation chapter 6, and we also compared... Matthew chapter 24, and we saw that there was a similarity between Revelation and the seven seals and Matthew 24. And if we go back to Matthew 24, I just want to read a little bit there before I take you to what we're talking about, the rapture and everything like that, just to orientate us. Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, verse 5 following... We hear things like this, that there's going to be many Christs that will deceive many, that will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And we looked at those different things and said, hey, a lot of that is echoed in Revelation 6. The seven seals, the broken seals, they are talking about exactly what we're reading here. And then in verse 8 was the key verse, because that's where we get the time of the birth pains. And in verse 8 of Matthew 24, in your versions, or read different things, it might say, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Anyone got that? Has anyone got beginning of birth pangs? Pangs, birth pangs or birth pains. Anyone got birth pains? Yes. So the, the true translation is birth pains birth pains. And we said that this age of the seven seals, or the birth pains we've just been hearing about, rumors of wars, wars, famines, pestilence, etc., that this is the age that we're living in. But what would happen before we get to the next stage of the great tribulation, tribulation I'll come to that in a minute, um, what's going to happen is exactly what happens when a woman gives birth. So these are birth pangs, birth pains. Now, as a woman gives birth, what takes place? The nearer she gets to birth, her um, contractions, they get stronger, don't they? And more frequently. And the closer and closer she gets to birth, the stronger the contractions and the more frequent. And we said that if we look at the history of the church and we look at the rumors of wars, pestilences, I went through those at that teaching, we can see, for example, wars. Wars have got more frequent and stronger over history until we got those am amazing birth pangs or, or contractions of the First World War, the war they thought that would, would end every war. But within the same generation, we had World War II. And we could look at others of the seven uh, seals. One of the seals, the great white horse, is a picture of the gospel being preached. And the gospel is being preached with revivals right throughout church history. But although we are, we are needing a revival in Europe today, if you look at the gospel worldwide, we've never had so much outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've had a return of the Pentecostals. We've had people all around the world, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people getting saved. Miracles and ministries are rising up. And so we see that the gospel, the birth, not so much birth pangs, but the gospel is getting stronger and stronger as we enter the end time harvest. And one of the things we know about the end times that Derek Prince always says is that things will get darker, but they'll also get brighter at the same time. The gospel will get more powerful, the church will get purer and stronger, although the devil will unleash more of his power. The darkness will be greater in the end times, but so also will be the light. And as Derek Prince said, um, there's, things are going to get worse and things are going to get better, but I'm going to be one of the things that gets better. 
Amen. And so that's the area of the seven seals. And I was saying we're very close now to coming into what end time students call the next stage of the end times, which is the tribulation. If you look at verse 8, we said all these are the beginning of birth pains. But in verse 9 it says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations. This word tribulation, end time students say that this is going to be a period just before the second coming of Christ. And this period in the book of Revelations includes, to begin with, the seven trumpets. And the seven trumpets bring more intensity upon the earth of persecution and displays of God's judgment. And God's judgment comes as a final call to repent. Remember, the judgment of God in Revelations is God's final gasp to bring people to him. And time and time it says in Revelation that God pours out his wrath, yet they still did not turn to him. He's doing everything possible to shake the earth, to bring people to him in this last period of the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, normally uh, people say that it will last for seven years. You ever heard that? The seven years. I just want to make reference to that so you can understand where that comes, although I'm not going into great detail. Um, for your notes, I'm not going to even go to it, but in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it's speaking about different times and seasons, and it speaks about one week, seven days. But it's not talking about seven days in Daniel 9, chapter 27. These days are referring to years. I'm not going to go into detail to explain that, but these days are... So one week in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. But we also see in Daniel that this final week, this is a final seven years before the end of time as we know it, this final week of Daniel 9, 27, there is a treaty that is made by the Antichrist figure that we looked at last week, and halfway through those seven years, three and a half years, it speaks about the abomination of desolation in the temple and that, 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 and that the treaty with Israel is broken. And then we have the three and a half years of the se seven bowls until Jesus returns. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, for your notes, Daniel 7, 25. So Daniel 9, 27, you'll see the last week of years, the last seven years before the Son of Man returns, Daniel 9, 27. In Daniel 7, 25, you will see it talking about a time, a time, and a half a time. In other words, three and a half years where the Antichrist will um, be absolutely ravishing the world, breaking that treaty. We also see these three and a half years in Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 speaks about the Antichrist and the beast really doing their damage for 42 months. Revelation 13, verse 5 for your further study. 42 months, which is, of course, three and a half years. All right? I could go into that, but then, then we'll lose lose sight of where we're going. So most Bible students believe that the tribulation will last through study of Daniel and Revelation. Remember, you can't understand Revelation unless you've studied Daniel because the two are so close. That what will happen is that after the age of the seven seals, we will come into a period of tribulation. Sometimes they talk about tribulation referring to seven years, but sometimes people talk about the last three and a half years as the great tribulation. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, in verse 9, it says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And many people say, ah, that's the seven years of Daniel. That's the seven years of Revelation, when the Antichrist and the beast will really be be, be, be ruling and, and, and it'll be powerful. That's the seven years. But if you keep reading in Matthew 24 to verse 21, it talks about a tribulation 
but a great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as never been seen. So when we talk about the tribulation, we are talking about the seven years, but sometimes, okay, I put the great tribulation first, but sometimes we will talk about the second half, when the Antichrist breaks a seven-year treaty with Israel, that's what they say, and that second half, the time of the end, the bowls, that's where the great tribulation will be, and then Jesus returns. So you say, why are you sort of like reminding us of these, this seven-year tribulation period? Well, because this, the big question is, when does the rapture take place that we read about? Is that going to take place before the tribulation? Is that going to take place in the middle of the tribulation, after three and a half years? Or will the rapture take place at the end of the tribulation? And we have three basic views of when the rapture will take place. And we have the first uh, view, which you can see with that sort of green dotted line. Uh, I'll go right under it for you. The idea here is that dotted line is the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm standing under it right now. Can you see? In this view, we go up before the tribulation takes place, before the Antichrist and the beast do all their work. This view says the pre-that, pre-tribulation, the church will go up to heaven. Now, this view is speaking about a secret rapture. Have you ever read any of those books called Left Behind by Tim LaHaye? This is the view of Tim LaHaye and Left Behind that there can be a secret rapture. And uh, the picture is, is that uh, they, uh, from Matthew, where two will be in a field, one will be left, one will be taken, two will be sleeping in bed. Husbands, look at your wife and say, which one's going up? Wife says, you. And one, two will be in a bed, and the husband will go up, and the wife will remain, or I don't know, well, you have to sort that out afterwards if you're married. And will go up, and the other will remain. And the picture here is of a secret rapture. I don't know if it's still the case, but it certainly was in the 90s, that, you know, American Airlines, well, they believed in, in this view of the pre-tribulation rapture, that there'd be a secret rapture. I'll explain what I mean by secret. Secret means that all of a sudden, the church will have disappeared to everybody who's left on the earth. And so it'd be like, oh, where did everybody go? Nobody on earth that remains will have seen Jesus. They won't have heard a trumpet or a shout. They'll be on the earth, and then secretly, everybody who believes will be raptured, and the world will be saying, what happened? Well, American Airlines, definitely in the 90s, believed this. And so what they did, believe it or not, is they would not allow a pilot and a co-pilot to both be born again <laughs> on the same aeroplane. So American Airlines, maybe it's still true today. I must ring them up and find out. When do you, when do you next book American Airlines? Just say, I just want to check that you still have that policy, that, no, that the pilot and the co-pilot cannot be born again at the same time. Well, then you're worried you're not going up, aren't you? But anyway, we'll leave, we'll leave that. So that was the idea, because if they did, the plane would be there, and at any moment, in this view, at any moment, Jesus could return, and poof, who's going to drive the plane? But to be honest, if you're left behind, you're better off crashing with what's about to come. So that's true. So, so, so that, is, that is the pre-tribulation rapture. And the idea is before the entire seven-year period, or whatever that re re represents, the church will be raptured out of, the world, out of the world, secretly. Well, what will the church be doing for the seven years? Well, according to this view, as you can see, we're not on earth. Where are we? The view is, is that we are in heaven and that we are celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus has come for his bride. He's raptured her before he pours out tribulation, before the uh, tribulation takes place. And while God is raining brimstone and fire down on the earth, the church is having a wonderful banquet in heaven, receiving rewards, being blessed, 
ready to return with Jesus, and you can see this where I'm going right now, uh, the red line, ready to come back at the Battle of Armageddon when Jesus comes and deals with the Antichrist, rescues Israel from the launch of the attack of Antichrist and his nations, and then Jesus comes back with his church that's been with him seven years, banqueting in the marriage supper of the Lamb, getting their rewards, and they will come back to earth to rule and reign for 1,000 years. That's the pre-tribulation view. And that's one of the most popular views. It, no, it's not one. It is the most popular views amongst charismatics and Pentecostals like ourselves. I can almost guarantee that any of the Christian TV that you're watching from the United States of America, they will assume this point of view pre-tribulation rapture. Because they say, well, God's not going to put his children through wrath. We've already been saved from wrath. So why would God pour out the, his, his wrath on his children? He's going to bring them up. And also this view has a very strong view of Israel in the end times. And next week, I'm going to be speaking about Israel, the church, and the end times. Next week and explaining the great revival. The last great revival before Jesus returns will be amongst the Jews. Isn't that wonderful? All Israel is going to be saved. But I want to talk about the relationship between Israel and the church and Israel in the end times. The pre-tribulation rapture view states, mostly states, of course, that when the church goes up, God has unfinished business with Israel. It's sort of a little bit of a return to the Old Testament and God starts to work with Israel while the church is taken away. Is taken away. So that's the pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, th there's one variation of the pre-tribulation rapture and that is what we call the partial rapture. Some of you will have heard of this, some of it will be new to you. The partial rapture says this, only the sanctified shall be raptured. So in other words, you might be a Christian, but if you're found in a state of unholiness, at the point of the rapture, you will be left behind. Have you ever heard some of the old Pentecostals that are around? Have you ever heard uh, uh, that one of the common statements used to be to young Pentecostals years and years ago, if, if Jesus comes to get his church and you're in that cinema you will not be raptured. Anybody ever heard anything like that? Yeah. You, if you're in that cinema, you won't be raptured. Well, what's going to happen to the Coronet congregation <laughs> on Sunday mornings? So, the partial view. And you say, well, where does that come from? And again, I don't want to get sucked into detail. That won't be helpful. But what about the ten virgins? The ten virgins are a picture of the church, but only five were ready. Only five had oil. Only five were sanctified. Only five were in church. The other five were watching the latest James Bond film or, or whatever in, in the thing. And so, and so only five were ready. And the idea is only they would be raptured and backslidden Christians would be left behind. And that's, a, that was an, that, that's not such a prevalent view today, but it was a view that was often used to try and keep Christians holy, try and keep your Pentecostal kids holy, because you say, if you're in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, you're not going up, all right? Um, suffice to say, I don't believe that that's the teaching of the Bible, but I just, just you will hear that, that at time, and it, it, it's historically in, in, important. All right, that's, that's the pre-tribulation um, rapture. Um, the next view is the mid-tribulation rapture. So if we go back to the timeline, um, this view is similar to the pre-tribulation rapture. It's still a secret rapture. Uh, those on earth don't see Jesus rapturing his church. They're like, all of a sudden, the church has disappeared. I'm going to stand under it right now. But as you can see where I'm standing, ready to be raptured, if it should happen, uh, um, we have the time of tribulation, but this point is in the middle of what we call the seven-year tri tribulation. Can you see that? It's the three and a half years that Daniel was talking about in those references I gave to you. When the abomination of desolation, when, according to Daniel, the Antichrist will come into the house of God and stop worship. It's, it's the um, 42, was it 42 weeks I said? It's the, um, just get ready... Uh, it's the 42 months 
that Revelation speaks about, that the Antichrist will really be released. It's the great tribulation that we read in verse 21. And so people that believe this view say, actually what will happen is Christians will experience some of the persecution of the Antichrist. People often say, well, will we see the Antichrist or not? Well, it all depends on your view of the rapture. Um, some pre-tribulation people believe that, well, Jesus could come at any moment, and at any moment we could be raptured, so we may or, not, may or may not see the Antichrist. Some pre-tribulation say, well, we probably might see the Antichrist, but before he or she really gets going, we'll have gone. But the mid-tribulation rapture theory says, no, we will see the Antichrist. We'll be there when whatever the mark of the beast is that says you can't buy or sell, we will, be, we will experience, the church will experience three and a half years or that first period of tribulation, we will face persecution. And they say the, that God has never promised that his church wouldn't be persecuted, just that they wouldn't face wrath. So this is our idea is that there will be a period where the church experienced the persecution of the Antichrist, but just before the big bowls of wrath, which is the final outpouring of God's judgment on the earth, just before the bowls, so we'll be there for the trumpets, but just before the bowls, we'll be raptured. Mid-tribulation rapture. And what will happen? We will go up to heaven. Marriage supper of the Lamb is what's normally taught. Receive our rewards remain with the Lord, secretly taken away for three and a half years. And then, as you can see, we will then return with him visibly at his proper return, and uh, every eye will see, and they will see the returning church that will destroy the Antichrist at the, uh, at the return of Christ, and then we'll, Jesus will reign for a thousand years on earth. So that's the um, mid-tribulation view. And many Christians have that. It's very similar to the pre-tribulation view. And sometimes you can't tell who's pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation because they both believe in a secret rapture. So the pre-before-tribulation view believes that really there's two comings of Jesus. And so does the mid, in the middle, tribulation view. That there are really two comings of Jesus. That Jesus comes first for his church, and secondly, in his full coming. The third view, which is the post-tribulation view, if we can just have that up again, thank you, I'll, I'll uh, stand on under it. This view says there is only one coming of Christ, and when Christ comes once, that is also the time when the church will be raptured to greet him and meet him in the air and then escort him back down to earth. This is the post, meaning after tribulation views. And this view states that the church will not be raptured until Jesus fully comes and that we will go through the tribulation period. Now, this is an interesting view. Um, it's not a very popular view. I wonder why. <laughs> I, know, I know if it was my personal opinion, I know which view I would pick. I'd be out there today. You know, so, but but we, we, have to, we have to understand there's different opinions amongst Pentecostals and Charismatics, and uh, we, we respect those different opinions. But we also uh, should study the Scriptures and not just choose something because it's popular or because it sounds nice. Because... If the pre-tribulation isn't, re isn't right, then people are going to be surprised about what they're going to have to go through. But let me explain the post-tribulation view a little bit more in detail. The post-tribulation view, its strength is that it focuses on one coming of Christ. There's no secret stealing away of the church. For example, if you look, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is where you start when you look at the, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Get back there. And Jesus is speaking about what happens at the return of Jesus and the being caught up, raptured. And in that, the question is, 
are we seeing in that, in that passage of Scripture, are we seeing a secret rapture? Or is this portraying something that's public? Right? That's what you have to go, go and see. And, um, and it says this, verse 16 of Thessalonians 4, the same passage as the rapture. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whisper and with a quiet word from the archangel. And the uh, trumpet of God will be muffled. I'm just having some fun with you. If you're pre-tribulation, don't get angry. If you're right, it doesn't matter anyway, does it? But I'm just saying, the picture here, let's be honest, the picture here is not of a secret coming of Jesus. The picture of here is a public announcement. You know the trumpets are always sounded. When we had the, the, the last royal wedding, and as the bride and groom, I think, entered, or was it when they left? I can't remember. I think it was when they, when they were getting near, the trumpets blew. It's common. It was a public announcement of the arrival. Now, the trumpet of God and the voice of the archangel and the shout of Christ himself, just taking that as it is, it simply is referring to a public proclamation. So taking that by itself, and I know there's other views, and that's fine, but taking that by itself, this is a public act. And if that is the case, then that means that when we're caught up and we're raised, that the whole earth knows that it's taking place. The other thing is, is what when the Bible speaks about the church's hope, what is it speaking about? Is it speaking about the rapture that is a secret event, if you like? Because in the end, our hope, if, if it's pre-tribulation rapture, our hope is the rapture. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're going to get out of here. But the, the New Testament, when it speaks about our hope, seems again to be speaking about something that's not secret but public. For example, in Titus 2, verse 13, worth turning to, Titus 2, verse 13. Titus is just before Philemon and Hebrew. Titus 2, verse... Oh, what am I doing? Did I say verse 13? Yes. Well, let's start from verse 11. It's always good to see things in their context, isn't it? See, one of the problems in Bible doctrine today is people pluck scriptures out... And they just give you a scripture and say, you see, that's what it means. I've found that often people get into error and they fire a scripture at me and say, well, what about this verse? And normally, if, if I say this is an error, the scripture sounds like what they mean. But I always say, okay, let's take that scripture that you fired at me. Let's place it back. And let's read the verses before and the verses after to find out what it really means. You can't understand a verse of scripture normally unless you've placed it back in its context. Can you imagine if I wrote you a letter and you just took one verse out? And, a whole, and the rest of the letter was saying how much I loved you, but that verse was telling you how unhappy I with, was that you did something for me. And you said, see what he wrote in the letter? You say, oh, what a nasty, unhappy pastor he is. But if you place it back in context, you hear what I'm saying? And these are letters, after all. Just a side point, but an important one. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now look, here it comes. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Christ. So we're looking for what we call, a very famous phrase, the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? Well, this word that comes after that, the glorious appearing, that's what the church has a hope for. The word here is the word epiphany. You know, in the Church of England and Roman Catholic, I think we're in that period now, are we? Epith epiphany? And, and, and that is the revealing. The, it means revealing. It means outshining. Revealing, outshining. And so that word which is translated in, 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 my, in mine as glorious appearing, is exactly that. 
It's not speaking about a secret thing. It's speaking about the unveiling, the manifestation, the glorious outshining. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul uses the same word again. 2 Thessalonians now, not first, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, speaking about, and then the lawless one who will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2. The brightness. It's the same word, epiphany, that's used for the hope of the church. And they've, in my version, they've got brightness. Anybody else got another version, another brightness, revealing? You also find in, four, in, in 2 Timothy 4.8. 2 Timothy 4.8. I'll just read it for you because of time. 2 Timothy 4.8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous good, God will give me on that day. And not to me, but all who love his appearing, epiphany, manifestation. And then later on, in 1 Timothy 6.14, well, the earlier book, that you keep this commandment without spot and blameless until our Lord's Christ's appearing, manifestation, epiphany. And so these verses, I haven't got time, and others speak about Jesus' return, not as a secret return, but as a manifestation. And um, you have to read in to the scriptures to find out where is this, show me a place where it's secret. You say, oh, what about the one left and the one being behind? Well, that's right. The one is gone and the one is left behind to see the return of Jesus. That's, that's not a problem there. Others would say, well, what about the wrath of God being poured out? Well, God is able to, to protect his children from wrath. And he even says that, that God's people at this time will be marked. He will put a mark on them so that the wrath of God will not come upon them. So that sounds strange. Not really. Think about Israel the people of God, during the ten plagues of Egypt. How many of the plagues affected the people of God? None. They were in Egypt, but they were protected and covered from the wrath of God against Egypt. In fact, when the greatest judgment came, there was a mark, wasn't there? There was the mark of the blood of the Lamb that was put on the doorpost, and God's wrath did not visit there. So although there will be persecution, this view agrees that, that the church can go through this time. And the idea is that the church will be part of the great witness to Israel that will bring in the last end time revival that will end with Israel. The firstborn son's going to come home. Do you know that? And this view says we will be part of bringing, 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 them, bringing them home. Also, and then I'll finish and open for questions. In 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4.17, uh, where we talked about the rapture, it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, that word, meet, in the Greek word, it actually means greet. So, um, in the Acts of the Apostles, when Paul is in Rome, he meets, greets the brethren. And what does this word mean, this greet? Well, this word is, is also used in Greek language to speak about the fact of going out to greet a great dignity. I don't know, imagine the Pope. If the Pope was coming to visit us here, or a king, whichever you prefer, a great dignity, and they were flying in, and he was flying into Heathrow to meet the Queen, would the Queen just sit, would the queen just sit there and say, oh, he'll find a taxi? She probably wouldn't go out to the uh, airport, would she? But what would she do? She would send people. They would go out to Heathrow, and they would... And you see this all the time, don't you, on TV? When a great dignity arrives in a land, there's people to greet them as they come off the aeroplane. Greet and then escort them to the place that they're going. This was exactly what would happen in ancient times. If a great king was, was visiting a city... They, he, the king wouldn't just come and then knock on the big city gate and say, can I come in? What they would do is they would be looking, waiting, watching, as Jesus says, watching. And then when they saw the arrival of the king, they would open the gate, they would send out a greeting party to greet him, meet him, and then escort him back. 
So in the post-tribulation view, this view says that when Jesus returns, that the church and those that have died in faith will be raptured and glorified to meet and greet him in the air with his angels, which often speaks about his holy ones, his angels coming with it, never speaks about the church with him, and then we will bring him down to the earth. That's the teaching um, of this, to be with him for, for a thousand years. The reason I've spent more time on that position is because it's very hard to hear that teaching. You won't hear that, so I wanted to spend more time on that, whereas nearly every other book or everything you'll get on the internet will speak about pre or mid. So now you're in more of a place to investigate. One of the things, of course, that pre-tribulation says is it makes a distinction between the day of the Lord and the parousia, which means appearance. And they say that the parousia, which is a Greek word for appearing, that is the rapture, and the day of the Lord is the second coming. But, you know, you have to read that into the text. If you believe that's what you want to believe, you'll find it there. All right, we've got five minutes for questions. Um, whatever your opinion about the rapture, all I pray is that you believe in the rapture <laughs> and, uh, and everything like that. But if you, do, if you don't agree with some of the things I've just said, that doesn't matter. Uh, but at least it gives you as I've tried, something where you can sit back and say, oh, all right, so now if someone says pre or post or mid, I know what they're talking about, and I can go a little bit more in detail. Okay, let's have some questions. Has anybody got any questions about this? Lift your hand. Uh, we've, got, we've got five minutes. Don't be shy. No question is a bad question, lady there. Thank you. Um, it's really not a question. It's just an, ob an observation. And uh, to me, as you're talking, it just looks like common, common logic tends to learn along the lines that the, the, uh, the rapture when Jesus comes will be the end times because there has to be when the tribulations are there and, and all these things and pestilences. There'll be, you know, I think the, the saints will be working hard to, to bring the, um, the loss to Jesus. And I can't see that the, um, the, the Antichrist will be just be left there without any opposition at all for three good years. And um, I wouldn't mind to be there and, you know, bring well, that's and well, that's a good point, that, 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 there would be le that the idea that during that period they would, they would be left without a witness. For him, it could be the church's greatest triumph. And um, yeah, any other questions? No, you're you're very welcome. Uh, right at the back, right at the back, the young man. Oh, okay. Well, you go to the back, and we'll take one here while we wait. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, fine. Um, hi. During the millennium. A bit louder. Sorry, during the millennium. Yeah. While the church is ruling and reigning, what happens? What's happening on the earth during the last battle? What's going on while the okay. church is? D I, have, I, I think I'll come back to the millennium in a couple of weeks, although if you want to, I, just before Christmas, I did, a, I did a teaching on the millennium, and I'll do that again. And the idea is that on the millennium, you see, God wants the earth back the way that he made it. And so the idea is, is that why should it all end and the earth never be properly restored or redeemed? Jesus comes and there's a new heaven and a new earth, it's all over. Isn't that a shame that we never lived on the earth as it was meant to? So the idea that when Jesus returns with his church, that there will be a thousand years or so where the curse will be lifted off the earth, there will be rebuilding, and part of the reward of the church is to rule and reign with Christ among the nations. Uh, Jesus will be physically ruling and reigning on earth, the nations will go up to greet him, and that um, uh, during that period, that, that is, and who stays on earth? Well, when Jesus returns, they talk about, you know, the judgment of the sheep and the goats? It says that God, that Jesus, when he returns, will call the nations together. He will judge the nations, separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep that, although not saved, they don't know even the parable of giving him a water. They don't understand visiting in prison. But they have been open to him, and they have looked towards helping the church in Israel, and they get to remain. They live on the earth. They have children. They live long lives. The curses lift. They do die, though. And then the idea is at the end, we don't, we, we've got our resurrection bodies, we rule over them. The idea is at the end, the devil is released one more time because they've never had the test of the temptation that we have, and that will be the battle of Armageddon. But I have done a teaching on this just before Christmas, 
Because if you haven't heard that teaching, it's like, what is he on about? But I did a teaching on that just before Christmas, and I will come back to that later. Yeah. All right, let's have one more question, unless there's, well, unless somebody really wants, uh, uh, that. Yeah, the, the one further in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be, be there come a fallen away first, and yes. that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Yeah. A lot of people believe at the moment that there is a great falling away of the, from, from the word of God across the church. Yeah. So according to, well, what, according to this, a lot of people believe that, that uh, the Antichrist, yeah. that there'd be a falling away first, and yeah. then the Antichrist be revealed. So the Lord will come. That's very good, yes, the idea of a, of a falling away of nominal, these aren't real Sorry, Christians. Just one more question. What's your personal view as well? Of, of that? Well, I, I, agree that, that I agree that there is a falling away already, and the falling away is of nominal Christians. That, you know, it, it's getting to the day where if, you're, where, where if you're not born again, it's not worth calling yourself a Christian. It's far easier just not to go to church. So the sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I put it on my birth, that, that, is, that is falling away. And so I agree, some sort of falling away is coming. Oh, one thing I forgot to add, which reminded me, is that... The, the, the idea that the rapture could happen at any time, that I will come as a thief in the night. I did refer to this early, but you, you need to read Revelation, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because you will say, see in whether 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you read through it, that Paul says that, that the Lord will come as a thief in the night, but then he says, but not to you. Because you will be, if you're awake, alert, and sober, he will not come as a thief in the night to the church. We'll never know what day he'll come, but we can see the times and the seasons like you've just mentioned, and, and, and we, will, we will be ready. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul has to say in 2 Thessalonians 1 and then moving into chapter 2, he says, I've got to let you know, because some of you think it's the day of the Lord like today, but you need to know, and I did this with the Antichrist last week, he said, you need to know that the man of sin needs to be revealed first. And so in 2 Thessalonians, in the first two chapters, he talks about the coming of the Lord, and he says, ah, you think it's like could be today, but there's some certain signs that must be fulfilled before his coming. We don't know the day he's going to come, but there are certain things, including the Antichrist, that must be revealed before that coming. So one thing I personally am pretty sure of is that this idea that Jesus could come at this moment is not correct. But at the same time, as you've heard me teach your whole session on, he is coming soon and sooner than we think. Well, God bless you all. Next week, we're going to have a look at Israel in the end times and the church. Thank you.